Welcome to episode six of the Purple Sector podcast. Today is my great pleasure to introduce a legend of West Ham, Man City and Everton. It is my absolute pleasure to uh, introduce Mr. Mark Wall. Mark, how are you? Yeah, good evening, Kieran. Good evening, Mark. Good evening. Um, right, I'm going to get straight into it because um, I know you push for time, etc., etc. But um, let's go back to the early days. I mean, after... Everton, after you were released by Everton as a youngster, you went through the ranks of Northwich, Victoria, and then to uh, Oldham. But describe the chain of events that led to your big move to West Ham. What happened in the season before and, and how the move came about? Well, obviously I was at Oldham Athletic and I'd been there for two seasons and, you know, moved there from Northwich for a, 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 like a peanuts, really, £9,500. And uh, Joe Rowe was... Not very confident I'd do well there, but I don't think he realised how well I would do. And uh, obviously scored on my league debut against yeah. Brighton, and uh, never looked back really at Oldham. And two full seasons there, and <laughs> before I know it, John Lyles at my house in Liverpool with Eddie Bailey, the chief scout, picking me up five days before the the season started in yeah. 1985, mm-hmm. which was a big surprise to to me, and. Uh, Obviously, come out the blue. I know I knew a lot of clubs were looking at me, but for me to have the opportunity to go and play for West Ham with some of the great players at the top level uh, was a fantastic, uh, you know, opportunity for me. And uh, obviously, I met uh, me mucker to this day, Frank McAvenny, who'd signed from <laughs> yeah. St. Mirren. And, uh, you know, David Jones, John Lowe's two signings that season. Yeah, you, you actually met Frank McAvenny um, as you were going in to um, sign the final terms, weren't you? you? You met him outside for the first time, outside the manager's office. Yeah, yeah me and Frank <laughs> met. Uh, that's the first time we met outside John's office and we stood outside talking for half an hour. And when he went in first to sign, I thought, oh, what had he what had been speaking about? Because his, his accent was that. That strong glad reason. I didn't understand the word he said, but uh, <laughs> you know we've become great friends uh, yeah. on off the pitch, and uh, we still see each other regular. Absolutely, events now, yeah. So a uh, fantastic player. Absolutely, absolutely, and and actually a fantastic player in a fantastic team because of course that team of '86 is still the most successful league team, um, and it's still enshrined in Hammers folklore. But I mean, please describe the players in that team. What they were, what they were like on and off the pitch. Well, how long have you got? But, uh, you know, quickly, Phil Parks, you know, uh, became uh, the most expensive keeper in the history. Uh, in history, when he signed from QPR to West Ham, that says it all. That's how good he was. He was he was a fantastic goalie. And you got Ray Stewart at right back. He played just behind me. Mm-hmm. The hardest nails, the penalty king, Scottish international. And you had the two centre-halves who, to me, were fantastic players. They were more than centre-halves. They were ball players. Mm-hmm. They were so talented. Alvin Martin and Tony Gale. You know, Gale, he was a complete footballer, but played at centre-half. And Alvin had that bit more steel about him and was a great leader. And then you had at left-back uh, that season, George Paris, who uh, gave all his all, you know, mm-hmm. come through the ranks at the club. And uh, Steve Walford, they you know they they shared that position yeah. for, for that season, and then you, you know you go for a uh, Devonshire on the on the left hand side was yeah. the best player I played with to be honest, and I can't say any more than that. He he was just unplayable at times, and then we had Alan Dickens in the middle who, you know, 
he was supposed to be the the new Trevor Brookin and uh, to get that labelled on him was unfair because Trevor Brookin was a uh, world class. But mm-hmm. Dicko was one of the best players I've ever played with. His mm-hmm. touch, uh, you know, he was an unsung hero. He was, he was a fantastic player. And then right next door to him, you had Jeff Pike or Neil Orr, both similar type of players. Pikey never gave the ball away, just made his all tick. And then up front, we had them two up front, McAvenny and Cotty, who I think they scored 58 times between them. And, you know, they were deadly. I mean, the best striking partnership I've played with. Um, Tony was just, you know, uh, a complete finisher where Frank had it all, really. Uh, mm-hmm. And that season, he was on fire. And uh, he was probably the best centre-forward I played with. And, and 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 from that eleven, I mean, um, let's go to the manager. I mean, John Lyle, um, obviously Mr. West Ham uh, at the time. I mean, what was he like to play for, and what and what did he do for you personally in in your first few months at the club to help you settle in? John was a complete gentleman uh, from the day, first day I met him when he came to pick me up. At, uh, you know, not many managers do that. He wouldn't do it these days. He, he had to rush up to Liverpool to pick me up to. Uh, to get me back down to London in time to sign so I could play on the Saturday, make me debut. And uh, just his, you know, first appearances and when you when you meet people, you know, John just came across as a very genuine guy and, you know, I got very, very close to him. He was like a dad to me, really. Uh, and it was like that with a lot of the players, you know, you don't, don't speak to John about anything. Uh, and obviously... It was difficult settling there for the first couple of months, and uh, Jamie, wife at the time, she she couldn't settle, and he, he actually come out of the, the house in Loughton to speak to her, and, and categorically just said to her, "Listen, he's not going nowhere." Uh, I took a gamble in the transfer market; it was a lot of money to spend on an unknown player, quarter of a million pounds, a lot of money in them days, and he, he straight away said to her, "It cost me three times as much now to replace to replace him." And, what's wrong with you and sat with her for a couple of hours and had cups of tea and, and uh, reassured her and uh, gave me a little rice because I'd done so well and uh, put a laugh on her face and probably another pair of shoes for her each week. <laughs> but, uh, you know, John was a fantastic man and uh, I was gutted uh, the way the club treated him in the end. He, he should have been moved upstairs and uh, should have been the governor. I mean, governed the, the whole club and he should have been in charge of bringing managers in mm-hmm. and maybe West Ham would have been a, a far better club than, than they are now. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, um, very, very interesting point, that one, certainly. Um, so, I mean, you didn't have a lot of time pre-season to, to settle in before the uh, season started, but it was really a sort of baptism of fire, wasn't it? I mean, d- describe what it was really like stepping onto that Upton Park pitch in front of the fans and, and playing in front of the chicken run. Um and I know there were a couple of incidents with the likes of Doug Ruby and Kevin Moran that endeared you to the fans quite early on. Yeah, it was a very unique stadium where obviously the the fans are so close to the players, very tight ground, and you know I'd never played there until I made my debut on on the, on the Tuesday evening, the second game of the season, and uh, took my breath away really because the atmosphere was electric and. Uh, you know, to be that close to the fans, it's uh, it's a, it was a unique stadium, and mm-hmm. especially the chicken run on that side. And uh, Alvin, the captain, said, "Mark, bit of advice for you. You know, I'm telling you now, this crowd will make or break you." He said, "You know, they'll suss you out if you're not giving it 100 percent." 
he said, I've seen it happen over the years. And uh, and to me, I was that type of player where, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't just float around the pitch and uh, I was I was 100% uh, of the tackle. And, and you know, and there was there was certain instances where, you know, I got stuck in and uh, I think the fans really appreciated my work ethic and the mm-hmm. way I uh, played the game. Um, and I just loved playing in front of them because, you know, the West Ham fans are so loyal and uh, appreciative, really. And I've always said this, you know, even going to the games these days, that, you know, all the fans want to see is that anybody who puts a claret and blue shirt on to give it 100% and uh, that's enough for them, you know. And, uh, you know, I played in a great, great side, the best side I ever played in and uh, the best team, as far as I'm concerned, to have, uh, you know, when you finish third in the, in this season and going into the last game of the season, you could, you could win it. Uh, you know that's how close we were, and uh, I think you know I, I had a couple of uh, set twos with a lot of players over the years, and uh, you know I think I, I won more battles than uh, I lost, and uh, I think that's why the fans really took to me. Well, certainly come to a couple of them as well, but um, I mean in that season itself, it was a little bit of a slow start, but but after actually the twenty sixth of August. Um, you remained undefeated until Boxing Day. I mean, what did you find was clicking together in the dressing room and, and what was the mood like in the camp throughout those four months when you start to really build up ahead of steam? Well, I think, you know, luckily, uh, well, not luckily, but unluckily, uh, um, you know, we, we started badly, to be honest, and uh, I think we won a game. Uh, for the first five games. Oh no, we did. We we won the second one. Second one, one game, uh, I think, in five. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and then uh, uh, you know we just seemed to gather momentum, and uh, no one no one knew what was going to happen really. But we just yelled together. We had a few meetings amongst ourselves, sorted mm-hmm. a few things out privately amongst the players, which was very good. We were, we, you know, we had a great team spirit, and uh, we just yelled and and. and we clicked on the pitch, uh, and I think I always look back and think if we hadn't had that bad start, we'd have, we'd have won the league quite comfortably, you know. Mm-hmm. And we just ran out of games, but uh, you know, after Christmas especially, we just fantastic one of run of games, and no, we were never scared of any of the, t- the teams in the division. You know, we matched Liverpool and Everton and United, and uh, we loved playing United. We, we kept on beating them in the cup games as well. But uh, I always remember my first. You know, goal on the TV that was uh, against United. Yeah, um, we beat them two two one, and uh, you know scored a cracking goal from outside the box. Yes, and uh, I think that's you know made me name there really. But uh, yeah, it was a fantastic uh, season, and, and and you know we had just that bad start. That was the uh, you know that was the, the point where we if we would have had a good start, we'd have won it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, no, I remember watching the United game, um, certainly in the last week or so, there's there's extended highlights available. And um, no, it's so good to see the atmosphere and, uh, you know, the, the the pace of the game as well. Um, no, it was, a, it was a real end-to-end stuff. Um, but I mean, we come to after Christmas and it's really a case of feast and famine when it comes to games because um, there were two games in January only, one in the whole of February, and then 16 games from the middle of March to uh, to the finish in May. I mean, how did you guys cope physically with that? I mean, there was almost no games to a, a, a solid run of games, one every two days or so. I mean, how did you guys cope? 
but you're getting paid good money, and you, I'd rather play the, I'd rather play than the train. So, you know what? Because of the bad winter that we had, uh, obviously didn't play for six weeks or so. But and it, it didn't bother me to be honest. Uh, I was getting paid for doing something that I loved. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have played every other day. I played in every game that season, and I, I think it's pathetic the way players say that they can't play two games a week and all this. Like I was fit as a fiddle. Mm-hmm. And I'm not being big-headed or arrogant. Uh, there was no one fitter than me, and that's why I dominated my opponents. And uh, when you fit like that, if you rest in between, could have played, could have played three or four times a week. wasn't a problem. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. uh, and that was at the top level where the pace of the game was was you know it was hectic at times, and uh, you know especially at Upton Park where you don't get a, a minute, you know, seconds on the ball. And it, I just I just loved it and. Uh, I didn't want the season to finish, to be honest. No. I mean, to be, to be fair, um, you know, the team um, coped admirably well. I mean, there was eight games to go and it was seven wins out of the last eight. In fact, seven in a row coming up to the last um, game. Um, the penultimate game of the season when you still had a mathematical chance of the title was against West Brom. Describe a series of events that day. I mean, there was a late penalty, of course, and a little bit of agony at the well a lot of agony at the end of it but but describe that day and, and, and what was riding on it and what you remember yeah because all our hard work if Liverpool had lost at Chelsea they'd be you know that's how close we were uh, yeah. West Ham and Everton for the championship and when you think of you know when's that ever going to happen again uh, in the West Ham history as such but you know this team were, a, were genuinely a fantastic team was, you know even I think Frank says to me Doug Leash said the West Ham were the best Best side that season, and we just run out of games. And it's the only t- team I've played in, and I played in some great sides after after my move from West Ham. But especially at home, if, it's not if we were going to win, but how many we were going to win by. Well, that is a uh, when you go out, when you when you stood to go out, and you you look at your team, and I used to think, how many is Frank and Tony going to score today? Yeah. And that was the confidence that we had. I suppose it's like a bit of like Man City and Liverpool now; they know they're going to win every week. Uh, but it's how many goals they're going to win by and that was our consistency and how, how good we were but uh, on that day I, I remember getting the penalty I went down and uh, as soon as I, I think it was a 3-2 it was 2-2 and yeah. got the penalty and Ray you know as soon as, as soon as we got a penalty it was a goal wasn't it because we didn't even have to look Ray, Ray was always going to score and uh, obviously after the game we realised that Liverpool had won and we were deflated but mm. you know uh, you know, we had to pick ourselves up and play that last game against Everton. Yeah, yeah. It finished that you came a very, very close third and is still the most successful um, league position um, in recent times for uh, for West Ham. Um, what, In your opinion, I mean, why didn't it kick on the following season or, or the following couple of seasons? Having come so close that year and having looked so good, I think Tony Gale even went on record and said it was better than the Blackburn team. He did win the Premier League with them. Um, why do you reckon that you guys didn't kick on from from that? Well, it's simple, isn't it? John Lyle never got any money to, to mm. invest invest in the team the next season. Not one yeah. penny. So we never brought one player in. You know, nowadays, can you see a side finishing third or in the top six? And well, even the teams that are just avoid relegation, they all get millions of pounds worth to spend. Mm-hmm. So that's it. You know, it's shouldn't. You know, when people ask me that question, I just dismiss it and say, listen. Everybody knows uh, John was treated terribly. How can a man of his 
stature and what he'd done, not get any money to invest in. You know, the club had a tremendous season, uh, gate-wise and everything else. And uh, it still, still angers me the fact that John wasn't given uh, the tools, which means, you know, the chance to uh, buy players and enhance the squad. Uh, that have had to been, you know, you know, great players to have dismissed Frank and Tony up front or me and Dev wide. But, you know, to have a healthy squad and a big squad to choose from would have been, you know, been great for us as as the you know not just for the fans and but for the the other players really because our our side we only had a small squad and our side picked itself and we picked up a lot of injuries that season as well so you know there's two things the injuries plus the fact that there was no money to yeah uh, invest in simple yeah. as yeah okay um. There were obviously a good few incidents though the next few years, uh, some uh, including yourself personally. I mean, the, the next season after that, you picked up your uh, your first red card um, against one of the game's notorious wind-up merchants. I mean, describe the events there, what happened? Yeah, we played in Wimbledon away and obviously it was always a battle there, a plough lane. But, uh, you know, Wise, he was, uh, Dennis Wise was similar sort of player to me. He was full-blooded and loved to tackle and we ended up uh, going to a tackle together. It was a proper meaty one. It was like, you know, no one held back. And we both stood up and uh, obviously both the same size. And why is he, you know, being the crafty cock he is, fell down as if it buttered him, but never went near him. But the referee chose to send me off and show me the red card. And uh, there was quite a heated uh, confrontation between the crazy gang, Alvin and Everybody got involved in a brawl and it was just one of them, you know, terrible decisions. And uh, I think that what made me annoyed was the fact that it was going to be my first game I'd, I'd missed in four, nearly four years. So, you know, I was proud of the fact that, you know, when I was fit, I was playing and that was it. You know, I didn't want to miss any games. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, knowing that I was getting sent off, I knew that I was going to miss games. And, uh, you know, Dennis was lying on the floor winking at me nothing wrong with him and he was getting uh, attention from the physio and I just wanted to stand all over his face to be honest and uh, put him to sleep but uh, I wasn't allowed to do that obviously <laughs> but, uh, his hand was outstretched and uh, I just stood on his hand and uh, uh, hopefully broke a couple of his fingers but uh, he wasn't very happy about it because he squealed like a pig but it was only my way of uh, getting my revenge really you know yeah yeah. Okay. Okay. You uh, you you went on a, uh, another couple of seasons, and um, actually you left West Ham um, early in 1990. So during the 89 and uh, 90 season. But again, describe the sort of chain of events that led up to you leaving West Ham. Um, what happened uh, at that point? What happened um, to make you leave West Ham? I know a new man came in. Um, what 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 happened? Yeah. yeah, I can hear you. You there? Yes, we're all here. Well, go on, mate. Yeah, I was just saying, um, what what was it that made you leave West Ham early in 1990? Well, that's easy, though. Uh, yeah, McCarty took over, didn't he? And uh, she'd never have got the job. You know, on the back of what he did at Swindon Town. Uh, and he just wasn't the manager for West Ham United. He didn't play the West Ham way. 
he was just obnoxious, he was arrogant, he's just, his tactics were just alien towards us all. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't like the man at all. So I think if, uh, if John had moved upstairs, uh, it'd probably give Bonzo the job. I, I never have left the club. Yeah. Or it'd show somebody who could have played the game in the right way or wanted the game to play to be played in the right way. And when he said things like, I could never get the ball off Phil Parks ever again and things like that. You know, Parks used to throw the ball out to me deep. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't work with somebody like that. And I'm a very straight guy and uh, the only clubs I've ever left is is because I never really got on with the manager. And uh, the manager's the focal point of a club. He's got to be respected and... Uh, I didn't have any respect for Luke McCarty and none of the other players did, so that's why I left the club. Yeah, and and and, and two players came in uh, in your place, um, Ian Bishop and, and, and Trevor Morley. Um, but there was a bizarre last-minute hitch that threatened to derail the whole transfer. Um, what was that hitch? Um, oh, about the horses. Yeah. The horses, you don't know about the horses? Yes, yes, yes. Oh yeah, and, uh, and then obviously my my wife at the time Jane she had a horse, mm-hmm. and that was uh, stabled in the uh, in Epping. Yeah, Trevor Morley's horse. He had a, a horse in Cheshire. His missus had a horse, and uh, I always remember uh, I'd done my deal and uh, was ready to sign for City. And secretary of the club at City uh, was called to. Me and Howard were having something to eat and a glass of wine, celebrating his sign of the city. And he said, what's the hold up with the other two? And he said, well, he said, uh, Trevor Morley's stalling uh, signing for West Ham because the club won't pay for his horse to be uh, shipped down to uh, London. And uh, Howard, in his wisdom, took a puff on his cigar and said, well, I've got a solution. He said, Mark's wife's got a horse and Trevor Morley's wife's got a horse. He said, just leave the horses where they are. <laughs> and they, they can have they can have use of the horse but it didn't work that way did it but uh, you know Howard was a great manager and, and I couldn't wait to sign for City because of what I'd done at Everton and uh, yeah. everybody knows that I'm an Evertonian so uh, you know it was a stepping stone for me to go to the club that I love and, and that's Everton Football Club Absolutely and and a year later actually that happened didn't it it happened in that way um, now I want to I want to talk just briefly about the first match the first home match at Goodison Park uh, for Everton, um, obviously you're in the tunnels. Ed Cars comes on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, what were your feelings that day? Finally, getting to represent the club that um, that you, was your boyhood club, um, and what happened on that day as well? Yeah, it was the second second game of the season. Arsenal were the champions, and Howard uh, said to me, I'll, "You know, I'm playing it on the left, Lee Dixon's mark." And then he said, "Don't go down the left because you can't." He said, "Just cut inside and pull the trigger." Something he said because you've got a good dig on you. And, and I was always confident, obviously, my dad had died a year before and he'd never seen, you know, he was never going to get to see his son play for the club he loved, but uh, he was definitely there in spirit on the night because, you know, even though Arsenal were the champions and, uh, you know, we all played in that night and I think it's probably the greatest game of football I've ever played in. Uh, and I think just the, uh, you know, from being a... a ball boy, a school boy, an apprentice, professional at Everton and, you know, being let go at the age of 18, just, you know, being told it would never be big enough, strong enough or quick enough and, uh, you know, 
after 20 minutes coming inside and linking up and, and, and smashing one past the 25 yards and then scoring a free kick in the second half. And, you know, mm-hmm. it all come it all come good that night for me and uh, it's a, a game of football that I'll always treasure because, you know, putting that blue shirt on and, and waiting to go onto the the hallowed turf at Goodison was just it was just I, I just felt so elated and uh, the adrenaline was rushing through my body and I, I knew I was going to be the best player in the pits that night and yeah. it's uh, you know scoring goals against Liverpool in the derby that was fantastic as well but yeah. I'll always remember my, my home debut for Everton Football Club it was just uh, I couldn't have got any better to be honest absolutely absolutely I wanted to go from that and you mentioned you touched on the, the Merseyside derby but um Let's talk about Christmas parties a little bit. Um, now, as you know, clubs have mainly sort of outlawed, outlawed Christmas parties. Um, it's fair to say they'd have been outlawed a little bit sooner had they got wind of um, one of yours at Everton. Um, do you want to describe what happened to one of them? Yeah, well, it was uh, quite a bit of a long story, but I'll try and keep it short. We yeah, used okay. to always have a fancy dress uh, party and uh, it was a Sunday Christmas. We'd all been out and... Uh, I also remember uh, John Ebro, the midfield player, mm-hmm. uh, was coming over to me late at night, punching me and running away. And I went, I went to look for him, and I just bumped into uh, Barry Horn, who's dressed as the Pope. And uh, he, uh, what I'd done is I'd, I bumped into the uh, a big cowboy, Dave Watson's next door neighbour, took it, took the gun out of his uh, holster, went looking for John and. Uh, couldn't find him and found the Pope, Barry Horn just as the Pope, and he, he said to me, what are you doing, what are you going to do with that gun? And I just said to him, uh, I'm going to shoot Ebel. So Ebel had been find him, he said, we'll shoot the Pope. So we did. And he was only about to foot away, and uh, little did I realise that the gun had a blank bullet in it. And uh, Barry Horn was flew against, flew against the, uh, the bar on fire, and uh, I think everybody in the club at the time, I thought I'd actually killed me, uh, shot me, <laughs> my <laughs> midfield partner. And uh, it was shocking because, you know, we'd been out all day. I was, yeah. I was drunk, very drunk. And uh, to hear the gun go off like that, uh, you can't actually die with a blank bullet. Yeah. And uh, it's something that, you know, probably never happen in this day and age because they don't go out anymore. But uh, these are the things that we used to get on up to, yeah. you know what I mean? So... Yeah, and how, how that stayed out of the papers is um, is anyone's guess. We're going to wrap this yeah. up very, very soon. I just want to go from uh, from Everton to um, to Birmingham, Birmingham City. Now, of course, the owners at Birmingham, the very same owners that are at West Ham these days, and uh, you got to play under Barry Fry. I mean, what were your first impressions of him, and what was it like playing for him and, uh, and at Birmingham during that time? Well, obviously, I went to Birmingham long. And uh, I still had a year left, and then I was offered the job as a player coach. So I didn't want to turn it down because I fell out with Mike Walker at uh, Everton. Mm-hmm. The, only, the only things that we had in common was our initials because uh, he was at another like Macari. I didn't get on with him, so I thought I'd go and play me football elsewhere. And uh, you know, me and Barry had our moments. One thing that we did have in common was that we were winners, and he did, he wanted to win. He had uh, a lot of players there at Birmingham, and. Uh, Obviously, I went there and done a great job as the player coach. We won the second division. Went to Wembley that season. I got man of the match. And uh, mm-hmm. But it wasn't to be. You know, I always think if I'd have uh, stayed there and, you know, and not moved on, I might have just got the chance of, uh, you know, 
in managing the club at one stage, and the I think it was managing material. You know, uh, obviously I could coach because we went and, and won the division. But uh, yeah, Barry was uh, a one-off. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I went to a reunion a few years back, and uh, someone asked him who was the best player he ever signed. And fair play to him, even after all the problems that we had. He said that it was me, and uh, uh, you know I did do I did do well at Birmingham, and uh, it was an experience to to work under him. I can tell you. Fantastic and fantastic stories to read in the book as well, um, certainly. But um, I just want to end, end tonight by just asking how you want to be remembered, um, particularly at West Ham, but also, I suppose, at all the other clubs you represented as well. But how, how do you want to be remembered? Well, you know, obviously I played wide right and then later on centre midfield. And, uh, but especially at West Ham, I think I'd like to be remembered as one of the best right-sided players uh, at the club I've ever had because... The team that we had in '86 was a fantastic side and uh, with some fantastic players. And uh, I think we you know, I went to City and I went to Everton and Birmingham. And I think, you know, I wasn't the greatest player in the world, but I always gave, gave it my all. And uh, whichever club I was at, I was full blooded. And uh, I think that's why, you know, supporters from each of these clubs always respected me because if, there's nothing worse than seeing football and not, not have a goal, especially. Uh, you know, this day and age, the foreigners, you know, it really uh, pisses me off that you see players not going into tackles and fainting, you know, injuries and things like that. Uh, I was brought up the right way, you know, at Everton as a kid and then at West Ham, was coached the proper way. And uh, I always uh, I feel lucky that I played for some great clubs. Absolutely. Well, Mark... It's been my absolute pleasure to talk with you uh, this evening. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on this show. Um, And we'll see you again very soon, hopefully, when this uh, lockdown season all finishes. So, um, Mark Ward, thank you very much indeed for appearing on the uh, Purple Sector podcast. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Kieran. Cheers, Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you very much.